you can't lie about passion. No one smart is tricked by fake passion. From Comcast, NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast for entrepreneurs that inspires and elevates innovative products to their full potential. I'm Danielle Kahn, your host and head of Lift Labs, and today we're changing things up and heading to our ninth annual Philly Tech Week. This week-long event is an adrenaline rush for the tech scene. It brings together thousands of innovators from the local startup community. And it's impossible to imagine a Philly Tech Week without its founder, Chris Wink. In this episode, my colleague Luke Butler and I chat with Chris about his own professional journey. He'll share what makes a great CEO and how it wasn't until nine years after he launched his company that he took on the title himself. And we are here live at Entrepreneur Expo, which is run by Philly startup leaders during Philly Tech Week, which is organized by our partners at Technically Media. And with us today is the CEO of Technically, Christopher Wink. Hey there. Uh, Things have changed a little bit most recently for your company. Tell us about the journey you've been on over the last few months in identifying and pursuing a new business model for Technically. We at Technically get a unique journey because I started as a journalist by training. We started technically as a news organization first. So we reported on the companies that are at this event, that are in cities across the country. But I didn't necessarily see myself and and my co-founders didn't really have an understanding of what entrepreneurship meant for us as individuals. So we probably took a longer journey than most and we did it in, in a community journalism approach. So it was certainly a different one in many respects. But... I've simultaneously gotten to report on the entrepreneurial journey and in time experiencing it myself, which has been the most rewarding thing for me. But for our team of 20, it's special for them too. Because when our journalists or our event producers or our sales and product managers, when they get to understand the clients we work with, they have a really unique insight because they've seen how we ourselves have quite transparently developed a business model. You guys know us as producing events a decade ago. In the last couple of years, we've come to understand we're a talent acquisition strategy. We have a newsroom to build trust and drive community value, but ultimately we want to, like news organizations always have, connect our audience of technologists and professionals with entrepreneurs and hiring managers. Um, and I didn't know what those words meant five years ago. I was a deeply inexperienced founder who tried to find a way that served the community I cared about well. And that's something that's universal to anyone who's ever been a first-time founder. As a follow-up, when we first started working with you four years ago, a big part of the team that wanted to be involved with Philly Tech Week was our talent acquisition team. Like In hindsight, looking at that, I realized how much we learned from each other through that journey, both in community building and then from a talent acquisition. Just Can you talk a little bit about what you may have learned from a big company through our partnership? Like any founder worth her salt will acknowledge there is no more important opportunity than to work with folks who can't do it just because they think you're nice. Like working with larger, with corporates generally or or companies at the scale of Comcast, you have to, and, and I always as a founder understood, you have to do right by your departments, your teams, your business objectives. It's not being uncaring, it's being foundational and true to what the organization stands for. Nothing's worse than 
kind of like leading a founder on because founders are deeply lonely and lost humans almost by definition because they're trying to find a new path or isn't yet a path in the woods. And so working with, with you as an individual, with Comcast writ large in many departments, we've consistently found, and I, I would say anywhere to anyone, I consistently found folks who deeply wanted to invest in a company they thought was interesting and would have really incredible value, but had to understand why the math made sense. Why is working with you going to hit our business goals? And those are some of the, the most important meetings for me and some of the most important conversations. And I took them incredibly seriously. I still do. And it helped shape me someone. They aren't folks who I've come to know through years. This is someone who is a, is a partner, is a client, and I intend to show why we are the best gosh darn partner that exists and why we have to get better every single year. And that's what you get at a, at a company that can say, we don't have to work with, with you or anyone. I want to articulate, hey, I think we're something more special than you might realize, and that's my job. And I, I think that's the development of, of corporate innovation strategies, why that's important, why it's important to have a Lyft Labs at any company, big company on the planet, is a fewfold as I understand it as a founder. One, you just can't have every two, five, 10, 20, 50 person company emailing every single person at a large company. It's incredibly distracting. And it's really hard to pull out who's real or not. We are trying to do something that's gonna support local journalism. So I think what we've done is incredible because we're doing it in a category that isn't being fulfilled otherwise. But for a lot of other departments, we just look like another 20 person company who's like trying to work with a big corporate. And corporate innovation teams like Lift Labs get to do the digging of, let me understand them over the long term. Is this something that benefits us? And get to kind of be that that like transition point. But now we do work with other teams at Comcast. We do work with other corporates. But a lot of training wheels for us was with an entrepreneurial engagement type team. And it was transformative for us. It's a way that, that Comcast is a company and, and, and Danielle and Luke as individuals and, and, and Jeanette and Monique and so many invested in us in their own way. It's transformative. But it's not because you guys did us a bunch of favors. You certainly like were good and genuine would help educate us over time and, and do more than you might have to. But I didn't want you guys to like say, ah, we're doing it because they're good. I wanted it to make sense for you because that's why I could go to JP Morgan Chase or Stanley Black & Decker or Capital One or Vanguard or these clients we work with now because they didn't care. Um, do you do good work? Is the dollar in worth what we get back? And we were able to articulate that because the work we did with you and, and that matters so much for us and also can make sense for you guys as well. That was the deliverables portion of the... <laughs> podcast and i mean it quite genuinely so <laughs> that's what you get right a real i think you've done a you've done a real service you mentioned transparency you have you have documented and talked about the journey that you've been on throughout the growth of your business but particularly in the last year and your own transition into the role of ceo and and you recently wrote that you're now you're a, a, a general worth following that you've grown a lot how are you doing in the job how have you performed as ceo since you kind of formally took over that role? Like in any leadership role, you, you have to lean on what your strengths are. Um, I am factually not an experienced CEO. That's not self-deprecating. That is just a look at the, you know, looked at my resume. I've been in a leadership function for a small community journalism outfit for a decade. I've done community organizing for a decade. I have things that have value, but what I am is outrageously passionate about what we do and I care so much about human beings and the importance of, of I believe journalism being an important tool 
but no one cares about journalism. People care about the outcomes. You have to find a new way to articulate it. And you can't lie about passion. No one smart is tricked by fake passion. So what I've done well in the role is articulate consistently why we do what we do, why we're valuable, why I show up. Um, and, and that is something that I think is, is something that I, I can do better than others. Um, so in those ways, I'm, I'm great. I am a better sales leader today than I was a decade ago. I guess my point is, so I used to play uh, like NBA basketball games, uh, video games, and when you create, like you create a player on like, you know, some NBA PlayStation game, you get different attributes and you can only go up certain points like strength, height, uh, speed, agility. And I picture very much that we all start with X number of points and we have to distribute them. Um, but as you learn, you can get better and you can grow them. The answer is every day I'm a better CEO than I was in the past. Um, a thing that I, I care a lot about is that, that title. I think that CEO title means something. And I've covered so many companies that had CEOs that I was so impressed by. And so many companies that I was deeply unimpressed by the CEO. And I, I found that was so dispiriting that you could print a business card and give yourself a title if you didn't earn it. And so I wanted to get there and earn it. Um, my path was my path. It took me seven years before I gave myself that title. I do not think that is the advice for everyone. I do not think that is right. For me, it was. And I meant it when I gave myself the title. And it took me another year to really figure out what it meant there. And now I feel I fully transitioned from co-founder to CEO. Uh, but I'm still at the, the first year of that. So I'm that good. I'm a freshman. And having covered all those other CEOs, having covered all those other companies, are the elements of the job that you're good at unique to you? Or are there elements that you see in the ones that you think are good? What's the one or two attributes that the CEO has that you think is essential to that role? Every CEO I've admired has, even in small talk, been willing and able to articulate what wasn't working. And that usually meant for me, they were deeply self-confident. So they knew they had strong companies and were good. So them sharing something wasn't working wasn't admitting failure. It was trying to find help. And so I've always really admired that. And I've always tried to be able to say, this is what's not working. This is what is. Because I am good at what I do. Our company is great at what we do. We are going to continue to thrive. I have no doubt about that. But I have to figure things out. So I would much rather say, this is what's not quite working yet, or this is what I'm trying to figure out. It's way more helpful to get that information. So that's one quality that every CEO, the person who's, who does the cliche, everything is rocking all the time. Th those are folks who like, because it's, it's not true. And so that's someone who has like, who can't yet admit it or isn't confident enough to admit it. So that's one characteristic I always find that, that folks have. And I think other attributes are unique to people, right? Like there are people who I so admire and they're so better at articulating, you know, the definitional steps of product market fit. I I'm not that, but I'm a journalist by trade. I think I can go toe to toe with anyone in the world on finding a really complicated narrative and telling to a team why we're going to go in that direction. It still takes work, but that's what I found I can do. And I'm still new now to understanding how do I get myself you know, the CEO has to be his or her own best chess piece. And when you're an inexperienced first time founder, like I, I, I still am, I had to learn how to get myself to be in position to be able to be that chess piece. And the CEOs I always admire know exactly what they're really great at. 
and they do that. If they're great public speakers, they're speaking at every conference. If they're better behind the scenes managers they're, and they're better at hiring people to do that, they do that. So I think the great CEOs at second quality, I would say, is knowing what their chess move is and, and hiring around that. So I haven't seen you lately, but you used to ride by me on a bicycle while I was walking to work and you were biking to work. True. And you were coming from Fishtown. True. I live in Old City. We actually had some of the most interesting, like, hey, let's meet up on at 4th and Arch, <laughs> I think is where that happened. And this would happen repeatedly. And then we would eventually, you know, meet up and, and talk about different things about Philly. And you are definitely a staple in the Philadelphia tech scene. You have pushed for Philadelphia's tech scene to grow, you could say, as much, if not more than the majority of people here today. So we can say a lot. Yeah. And, in the, and in the community, right? And we have collectively gone around the country and toured other cities, seen other cities, seen what's happening in other tech communities. Where do you think our sweet spot is as a tech community, being Philadelphia? And where are we getting a little lazy? Where do we have more work to do? Yep. We publish in, in five cities now, technically. We do pop-up projects around the country. We try really hard to narrate and understand as many trends in, in local entrepreneurship and, and startup and, and tech innovation conversations. We've been on a, I've been on a hobby horse for a decade to say, we're not actually talking about, can we have a startup scene? We are talking about how will our local economies change? We're 40 years into a decline and now a flat line of manufacturing. We've even seen some upticks in the last 10 years, but we're essentially where we're going to be in manufacturing employment. Every large American city is trying to understand what its next 50 years of, of employment makeup will look like. And so the conversation with, with tech and, and, and startups are not, will we have a tech community? It is, how do you build the framework for your local economy for the next 50 years? So Philadelphia was early, Philly Tech Week was early in talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations because consistently those who can benefit from the successes of economic growth, it becomes one of the last points. It's not one of the last points here. That is one way that we are strong. We've not solved it, but I don't know a leader I respect in Philadelphia who can't articulate this is an important thing. And other cities I, I respect are doing that same thing. DC talks about it, and that tech community is vibrant and beautiful. Um, so I think that's one way that Philadelphia is in the vanguard. This is a great place to live. This is a large urban center with hundreds of years of cultural history, thousands of years of human, human impact. We have the livability and the infrastructure of a large market with opportunities and access of a regional city. The, this, we can articulate wins, but we have to have the tools and the network to do so, and that's what we've worked so hard in the last 10 years. We are as strong as anyone in that arena. What we can work on, I'm sure there are ones that, that'll be repetitive, but it's who are some of the home run companies that that's something you'll hear a lot. I think a lot about, you know, the idea of when you start a garden, we don't say, why are there immediately not a hundred cherry tomatoes on my cherry plant? We like understand innately. You put the plant in, you water it over time, it grows and you get there. We are seeing this generation grow over time. Guru is a company we cover a ton with someone who you've certainly talked a lot about. Rick Nucci is the CEO, but critically, I know a half dozen or more of his 200 employees 
who I know personally have worked at other companies in this market. So though Rick is who is a CEO of that company, a knowledge management company headquartered in Philadelphia with offices elsewhere, the CEO is best known. Their strengths come because they get to start, they're leapfrogging other companies that started before them. Guru couldn't exist today the way it does 10 years ago. Without Boomi. Exactly. Without Boomi, without 20 other companies where their staffs then got experience and went in. Um, so we are behind in that in that generation. And then add on to it, you know, like Rick Nucci also just puts a lot back into the community, right? So he doesn't stop at just running a company, but he's still very involved in the startup scene, still exactly. goes to South by like still shows up at events, no matter how successful he is, he's still involved. And so Philadelphia is behind we don't have enough of those that build on each other over time. So we're just we're just behind for lots of, of more complicated reasons, but that's one thing that we need more of those. It's not that it's not happening. I'm not necessarily sure that I think the recipe needs changing. I think we all fear how much time do we have? How much do we have to speed this up? That I think is the, the concern. I think we have the ingredients, um, which I, I fear can make me feel unambitious, but I think it's about finding ways to make it, I, I hate the word faster in this sense, but to, to happen more expeditiously. You're one of the the most voracious consumers of information. My and, wife would agree with you. And, yeah. <laughs> and and disseminators of cool stuff. You're like the Dosecki's man. <laughs> You're like Philly's the most interesting man in Philly, which may be a one-eyed man in the land of blind man situation, <laughs> but nevertheless. And I, I, you know, you, you run a company, you're a CEO, you're busy life, trying to be a husband. It's tempting to think that you don't have time to go and like seek out that stuff and to kind of push the boundaries of your knowledge. How and why do you prioritize reading about, writing about the weirdest, I mean, you. Your newsletter is is a collection of, of articles about leadership, but about whiskey and French croissants and travel. And so I'm, I'm just curious, how, like how and why do you fit that into your life? Are there tactics that you use to make that stuff stick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, two two things. One, I think that something that will speak to all of us as professionals is I like efficiency, and so. If I can find something that I love that can fit into something else that I love in unique ways, it's helpful. So I run a small news organization. So whenever I can experiment with sh you know, sharing information, even if it's just really about my passion, I end up learning something that I take into a product meeting. So I experiment with newsletters and podcasts because I find it interesting that I can, I can take it over. So some of that is the, like, the logic. But two things that I think are, are maybe takeaways for others that have been helpful for me. If I'm in the office and I'm having a lunch, I take a 15, 20 minute break and I usually am watching a like YouTube video on the transition of Latin into French over a period of 500 years in, in linguistics development and the difference between prescriptivist and descriptivist understanding of language. Or I, in the morning I'm having coffee, I will be really trying to understand like actually what time space is because I, I don't really but I'm really actually trying to understand that 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 is like that's my time away from work but I do think you know which is very well established that time away from my more tactical work always like snaps together in incredibly weird ways that so I think what I just meant to try to say is sometimes it's intentionally close to my work newsletter and podcast also helps me do my work 
and some of it is intentionally bizarrely wide-ranging it's like i just find it neat but it's like it stretches my brain like it's so hard and and so like most often before i i go to bed with my wife i am like no but really have you ever thought about we don't know how language was invented so like last year i read 11 books and on Shannon linguistics likes just go to bed usually yeah yeah no sometimes she, like that's when i know something interesting she'll be like uh yeah i think i follow you um actually can you talk about the wedding spreadsheet yeah that's a fun example oh actually can you share the wedding spreadsheet i can oh, yeah luke's getting married <laughs> yeah. in a month but it might be a little too late for this one so i have my, my personal blog christopherwink.com um i so this may relate that i think other ceos would find interesting we hide so much i think that's so silly because so many of us are go all of us go through such similar things and we're so scared understandably because we're it's a mean rotten world um but i have this very optimistic view that if you go out and say i am trying really really hard and i'm i'm like i am what i say i am and i will try i think people on the whole treat you well and so I got married with my wife three years ago. Um, I built a massive weird spreadsheet to track every single expense we had. Um, people famously talk about how expensive weddings are, but we're not often honest about that. I come from, for so many reasons, I'm a deeply, insanely privileged human being. I'm a, a white, able-bodied male that was born in the United States. I'm very deeply privileged. I grew up in a middle-class household. My mother was a teacher. My father works for a, a, con a concrete stone and tile company. So I was super uber privileged, but I also had a hunch that I was, I was in factually in a mean. So when I was getting my w wedding spreadsheet done, I said, I bet you a lot of other people want it. I shared this spreadsheet of this is all the trackings and I shared the raw data. This is what my wedding cost. And I did the like, hey, I understand that I could have, I could have transformed hundreds of lives in Guinea if I spent $25,000 or something like that on... Uh, did you on, end up including, like, what people gave you? I did. I did it by anonymized average by age bracket of average gift. What was the average gift that you received for your wife? This is a few years ago. Um, $98, um, but age bracket mattered a bunch. Per person, Correct. Per 98 okay. per person, I believe. I mean, you can if you Google, like, wedding um, spreadsheet Christopher Wink, you will find this post. And I have I give the raw spreadsheet of how you can do your own and all my data. And I did put in that... that in that post, I said, here are all the things that I could have spent that money on that would have changed lives. And I didn't. And I tried to articulate, this is, these are the decisions why I, I went differently. Their statistics show weddings, larger weddings predict a longer, more successful marriage, typically because there is psychology that essentially there is a, a degree of social pressure, which is kind of ugly. You feel like you did this in front of a bunch of people. You can't undo it. Um, but also typically if you can coordinate something with your partner rather complicated, it's meant to presage what might be successful. Um, so it's like super meta and complicated and there's some like causality in there. But my, the pulled out point from wedding data for, for like CEOs more generally is, man, we are all, I think most people are trying so hard and we're just scared to admit it. I've made so many mistakes. I would much rather talk about them and have someone else be honest with me than to like just act like it's all going great because so many times it's not. All right, last question. So technically is a Philly-based company, but certainly covers the country, the, the startup community, the tech community, many and cities. talent yeah. in many, many cities. And as you look at Philly Tech Week moving forward, next year being the 10th anniversary of Philly Tech Week, you know, what's your vision for the future? And how, how do you stay uh, relevant, but also how do you continue to grow a national 
event and national focus as, as a company? I'm a journalist will always be who I probably identify, how I identify. So for me, it always starts with substance. If you have substance, I think even if we don't articulate it, we all kind of can just sense if something is just a cloud and a whisper or if there's something there behind it. So for we, I technically, we believe that stories help lead people to where they want to go in the future. That can help finding jobs they love. It can help starting companies that matter. For Philly Tech, we, we think twofold, bringing new people to a city that matters and exposing more people to a conversation that will change their place has incredible outcomes. And so 10th Annual Philly Tech Week will be, the parties will be bigger. We're going to shut down streets. We'll do pretty shiny, exciting things that will garner attention. But there will be as many substantial conversations about equity, economic development, business growth and connections. So we will continue to go bigger. We'll look for more partners and tell something that's inspiring. We'll play games on video. We'll play video games on buildings again. We will, we will convene in ways and scales we haven't done. But there has to be substance. So we have to let companies grow faster. We have to get people in, into conversations they aren't otherwise. That's why it will last. Um, because at some point, if it doesn't matter, you know, Daniel and Luca know that we're at Com no, no longer at Comcast and someone at Comcast goes, why are we investing in this? And, and I mean that for like a hundred companies. We have to consistently show this moves the needle. And for as long as I do anything I do, I will only be involved in things that make something an inch better than it was before. And certainly, I think from a partnership perspective, we have seen technically as a great partner also really respect how many um, women and people of color are on your team and how much commitment you have to diversity and building your team. And just continue to keep it real, you know? The conversations that have happened all week, the hundred events that are happening outside of your, quote, official events that your team organizes. Really impressive, continues to be a growing roster, and we're really proud to be a part of it. And uh, I think about the early days, four years ago, when we took our road trips and did the Tomorrow Tour and all the research and listening of the communities across the country and how much we learned together. And all of those things have shaped the programming for Philly Tech Week and Lift Labs in many ways. So thank you for being an awesome friend and partner. Thank you. Really appreciate it. This is the Ideas Elevated podcast for Comcast NBC Universal. See you next time. If you like what you hear, and we hope you do, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. For more info and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was produced and edited by my friend Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Angela Gervasi and fee music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time. <laughs>